Parents strongly cautioned, the following programs are intended for mature audiences over the age of 18. These programs may contain some materials that many parents would not find suitable for children. The programs may contain intense violence, sexual situations, coarse language and suggestive dialogue. Hi, this is Sunny Strait, the original Toonami Tom for Cartoon Network. And you, Toonami faithful, are listening to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. Fancy that. Carpe diem, kiddos. Hey everybody, welcome to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. My name is Jose Ercometo, and with me tonight is... Paul Viscrillo, the founder of ToonamiFaithful.com. And... Your esteemed announcer, Jim Nelson. And we have a really good show for you guys tonight. We have the uh, continuation of the Space Dandy recap. We've got all the news you want to hear. And of course, probably our most highest requested guest, outside of maybe Jason and Steve Bloom, uh... Sunny Straight, the original Tom, is going to be on the show finally. Yes. And Usopp. He's Usopp, Krillin, but. Krillin, yes. Basically, the yes. big reason everybody's been asking for Sunny is because he was Tom before Steve Bloom. He was Tom one. He was the original Tom. Tom before he was Tom. Oh, wait. I don't think that works. No, that doesn't work. He was Tom. <laughs> That's just, he was Tom. Um, And my personal favorite character of the Tom so far. Don't tell Steve. I'm telling I've you. always imagined Tom one as like the fat as like the adorable plushie that you would, you know, snuggle up with at night. And Tom is Tom two on is like, you know, the badass action figures. Yeah, I always yeah. wish they would make like a little like action figure of Tom one, man, because he, he has a badass little character design. It's like Tom one has this nice little, you know, beer belly stuff like that. But I guess that uh, thing that he destroyed on the absolution one ended up uh, trimming that beer belly off. He worked out, man. He didn't want to get his ass kicked again. Not again, no. No. Anyways, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the Space Dandy recap. Episode 2. Hunt for Phantom Ramen. Baby. Because they all end in baby. Exactly. Um, this I feel like we have more of an Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt more of Michael Jackson. And again, it's still dandy being a, it's still dandy being a loser, but still having yeah. shit working out for him. <laughs> Isn't um, that how it always works out? It's like, yeah. how do the friggin' losers in life get everything they ever friggin' want? Yet people who work hard get nothing. <laughs> yep. So and uh, but we should probably I'm not start bitter with... or anything. <laughs> we should probably start with how the episode actually starts. Uh, Dandy is at the alien registration, and he runs across uh, Scarlet, who I guess is going to be important, since she's voiced by Colleen Clickenbeard. And I would hope so. Who's at least going to kick more ass than she did, you know, tonight. She's going to kick, like, metric tons more ass, yeah. because that's just what Colleen Clickenbeard characters do. And uh, so she basically tells Dandy, hey, you suck at your job, and launches him out into space, and he doesn't die somehow, because <laughs> Dandy just doesn't die. <laughs> well, if it, well, oh, we should probably go back. Last episode, everybody died, supposedly, but again, they don't address it, so it's just like, whatever. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If Commander Shepard getting spaced and then basically getting destroyed by re-entry into atmosphere didn't kill him, then, you know, little things like that shouldn't kill Dandy. You know, like a supernova going off. Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> 
I've or fe- I have a feeling black hole. Nah, that'll just merely annoy him. Yeah. yeah, I have a feeling they have an actual explanation. They're just not going to share it, or if they don't, whatever. It's still a. It make it's still like well, it's kind of like Futurama. How many times did those guys die? And that well, actually, Futurama had a really good continuity. Maybe I shouldn't compare it to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the way I see it. Uh, for those of you out there who have watched Gintama, you know that there's this one character Yamazaki in the Shin Sengumi who's always swinging a badminton racket. The creator's explanation is that by explaining the badminton racket, that it would ruin the joke. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting right now with why they haven't, why they might not explain Dandy not dying despite probably getting pretty decidedly fucked up. You know, probably <laughs> incinerated. Yeah, exactly. Um, but well, yeah, Q Team, Yao, everybody is all back. They uh, they apparently suck at their job, and uh, Q T is just the most vocal about it. Yeah, and Meow, they still make boobies. Who doesn't? Uh, but Meow has pissed off Dandy because he ate a special ramen and a lot of his food, apparently. And he almost throws him out the uh, airlock, which... Twice. I, this will be the second time Meow's almost gone out the airlock. <laughs> well, he does it twice in the episode. Yeah. So, just got so the third here. time. I guess so we have ourselves time, yeah. a recurring... Another recurring joke is, uh, you know, getting... Seeing Meow get thrown out of the airlock almost. They finally, you know, he, he brings him in and he's like, I'm going to go... F- we're gonna go find this Phantom Ramen, and they go to uh, they go to Boobies again, which makes a second appearance, and the second appearance of I Honey. Think her name is Honey, yeah, Honey. Yes, played by Alexis Tipton, who, according to the animators, is I mean, obviously, there's more to this character than meets the eye because you know that she's in all the promotional material. She shows up all the time. Like they wouldn't, they don't have just a fan service character. It's not Shinichiro Watanabe style. Like there's no. Even Faye Valentine, when she was introduced, like she has a really revealing costume as well and a really sexy character design. But there's more to Faye Valentine than being fan servicey. So I have a feeling we're going to get the same thing out of Honey. There's obviously more to this character than meets the eye. We just don't know it. In fact, she surprises in this very episode. She knew exactly what uh, Meow was talking about, and I think she would have probably told them where to go had that other alien not interrupted. So keep an eye on her. She's going to be. You know, keep an eye, but don't drool on her, you know? <laughs> she's she's going to be important, Darrell. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Faye didn't seem to do much of anything except waste the Bebop's money that they had earned um, in the first few episodes she was in. You know, yeah. it, it took about three, four episodes for Faye to actually get a character. Now, to compare Space ba- Dandy to Cowboy Bebop at all kind of feels a little disingenuous, especially at this point, since we're only two episodes in. But Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, well, after they go... F- they go from ramen joint to ramen joint, and they kind of lampoon social networking and Foursquare and Twitter and all those. Uh, because Meow keeps giving away their damn position. Uh, so, <laughs> J. Way, Michael Tatum chases them down. Yeah, and I think this is a pun, but they, they're talking about Galaxy Street View, and I just realized the Gogolo va- Empire is the one chasing them. <laughs> oh, I just caught that. <laughs> I'm just like... Is that is that a pun that I'm just not I just now realized? But um, so maybe it's Google trying to hunt these guys down. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what uh, everybody in Japan has against Google, but Space Dandy apparently took their new device. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He has the like Nexus eighteen hundred, and you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they sorry I, I skipped a little bit here where Scarlet is back in the show, uh, mm. and. Dandy tries to go, not hit on her, because he doesn't go hit on her. He goes to beg for money. Can we have yeah. some money? <laughs> and he immediately is, like, turned down, basically. Hmm. 
Oh, the other thing we have to mention, Wulongs. Yes, Wulongs. Uh, uh, does that imply that Space Dandy could possibly be in the same universe as Cowboy Bebop? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, or maybe Bones... it's just uh, maybe it's just uh, Watanabe having a little fun. I mean, Bones did work on the Bebop movie, so it is technically a Bones <laughs> reference too. Actually, we yeah. saw on a quick on a, a quick related note, we did see the Bones logo. We'll get to uh, all the references. I promise we'll get soon. to them all. But I, I kind of want to go in order here. So they get to the they get to the noodle shop, and uh, the Gogolo Empire sends a platoon, and they uh, Scarlet makes quick work of them. And Dandy just cowers in fear and is actually injured in the fight. <laughs> yes, he is. And the only thing he can comment is, wow, she has a great A rear end. <laughs> Once again, proving that Dandy is still an idiot. And it's kind of the joke that he keeps objectifying women and he's supposed to be the quote unquote cool character. And it's like, no, he kind of sucks at this. He's terrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But Scarlet kicks ass. I mean, that, that fight animation. Mm-hmm. Paul, do you have enough action now? Uh, I mean, it's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> it's getting there. We'll, 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 no, we'll yeah, see this, what happens for the next episode. This episode had less action than the first yeah. one, but I was fine I, with that because yeah. it was just like, holy, it was funny. It was so funny <laughs> with the ramen and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, um, one thing I was asking myself was, like, are, are you sure this is tsunami material and not like uh, Adult Swim comedy material? Because That's I don't right. know. Well, but, that's why like I think I said, it's partially at 11.30 now. Yeah, I try not to, um, you know, draw a lot of conclusions now, especially, you know, we're two episodes in. I mean, come on, any kind of um, conclusions we might be able to draw at this point are jumping the gun, you know, like a ridiculous amount of time ahead of, amount of, time, ahead of time. So it's like, you know, what do you people want? You know, it's like... It can't be Cowboy Bebop right off the bat, and it's not going to be because it's clear that Space Dandy is something completely different. Well, and... when we're when we're done with the the whole recap, I'll I'll talk about the ratings and because mm-hmm. me and Sketch had a conversation an in depth conversation about this, but that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what we're talking about. But all right, exactly. well, no, 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 I know, but I, <laughs> no, I'm just uh... I'm talking but I'm just trying to assuage mine and other people's fears regarding it's like, huh, this this kind of feels sometimes, you know, it, it feels like it belongs more in Adult Swim comedy, whereas the other times it's like, okay, this is tsunami material because it has a ton of action. I kind of hope I, it does jump into like Adult Swim comedy because that would just be cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't I, want it I to be. I feel like this show could cross over and still be on tsunami, of course. Yeah, exactly. Like you could probably, you know, see it for a while down the road and everything yeah. like that. You could put it um, on a back-to-back block with Boondocks, and I feel like it wouldn't be. I mean, it, currently, right now, it is right yeah. after Boondocks. <laughs> but you could put it like on Sunday night after Boondocks. It wouldn't feel out of place or whatever. But anyways, getting back to the show, the war. Uh, so they finally find the ramen shop that is getting the ramen, uh, mm. and they have to jump into a wormhole. Oh, the the ramen shops all have names, by the way. They're all they're all names of sci-fi or anime stuff. Like mm-hmm. one of them is like a reference to Andromeda. Uh, the other one is called the Full Metal Noodleist. Yes, <laughs> I was like, yes, I know what that means. Um, I wasn't listening, and it sounded like Full Metal Nudist. What? <laughs> the other Men one is black. the uh, Men in Black, which is short for ramen and black. Get it? Uh, <laughs> yep. Yay, Japan and their stupid puns. Um, All right, who wrote this episode so I can bludgeon them? Dai Saito. He's written a Dai lot Sato? of. Yeah, yeah, he, 
Yeah, Daisato wrote the episode, actually. He gets uh, a pass. Yes- <laughs> yeah, Yeso Otaku was talking about that. And she's like, oh, God, no, slow episodes. I'm like, oh, come on. He wrote Eureka 7. It can't be that bad. Eureka 7 is awesome. So um, the next thing, they uh, they jump into the wormhole and they find the uh, the guy who used to be in a motorbike gang and who accidentally burned his girlfriend to death <laughs> because yeah, he's a fire-breathing alien. Um, it, it, it looks like a reference to like Easy Rider and stuff like that, but I, I didn't catch it. Other than the Easy Rider type of vibe. And then he goes and eats ramen and, you know, becomes a ramen uh, cook uh, because he loves it so much, which reminded me of The Ramen Girl, for those of you that remember that Britney Snow movie. Or Britney Snow, Britney Murphy, sorry. Mm. Um, and he, they eventually jump back into, uh, into their own time. Meow has spilled his ramen, which I've never <laughs> felt so bad for a bowl of ramen before. <laughs> but at least he got to keep the bowl. Oh, yeah. I, didn't, I think he didn't even bring it back. I think he lost it completely. <laughs> I'd have to watch the episode again. I, I well, I've been watching all the episodes because I, I have a season pass and uh, from iTunes, so I get the dub and the sub at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I have been actually actually watching it subtitled. Mm-hmm. Uh, How much is that, by the way? It's seventeen bucks for the season pass for the oh, sub version. That's nothing. That is nothing at all. Twenty six bucks for the dub. That's still nothing. That's so, less that's on than iTunes. Than, that's less than the box set will be. <laughs> Probably. Um, but yeah, and it's an HD and it looks great and it's awesome, but you do have to buy it twice. You can't just switch the audio tracks, which is annoying. And I've already told Josh about, mm-hmm. um, but anyways, I, I've bought them both. I want to keep them on my Apple TVs because it's a really easy way for me to watch them. And comparing the two, the scripts are really close. There was no real like loss in uh scripts that I notice. Mm-hmm. And the humor was pretty much kept intact the whole time. The performances are pretty much on par and, Although, like, obviously the, the, the dub does add a couple of more jokes in there. And funny jokes, I might add. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, just these one or two little quips that they have to add real quick. Because it's like, oh, this guy's still talking. Yeah. Uh, Joel McDonald, I believe, um, directed this episode. So I think they might have multiple directors for each episode. Because I believe Zach Bolton did the first episode. and then um, Well, as far as I know, Zach is directing the whole show if i'm correct no 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 on uh, on twitter yeah i know what you're talking about jim they mm-hmm. uh you said it last night I, I don't remember who it is it's on tsunami news mm-hmm. uh because we retweeted him but mm-hmm. um yeah i think it i think they have uh other directors on there i don't know maybe he's the one that does the, like the whole thing and then there's just other directors that do mm-hmm. i don't know which I, makes I, sense to me because yeah. it's like uh this is a simul dub we have to get it out real fast yeah, exactly. I know they have multiple writers on the show. Like Patrick Seitz, who was the writer on the first episode, didn't write this one. Yeah. Um, and I, I forgot who. I'm so sorry. I should check the credits. But yeah. someone else wrote this one. Um, mm. Just like Shinichiro Watanabe wrote the first episode, he didn't write this one. He wrote uh, – he's still directed, but yeah. uh, Dai Saito wrote this one. Yeah, Dai Sato. Um, and there's like a couple other um, directors like that are pretty well known that are working on um, – some other episodes. Uh, Yeso Otaku again went over who was uh, directing the upcoming episodes for Space Dandy. And, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't make a difference to me who directs it as yeah, long because as the, the episodes style, are funny. The style is still always consistent no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's still weird animation half hour. Right. <laughs> Where the oh, animation yeah. was, again, beautiful. That fight animation was amazing. It was uh, fluid. Like, the, the warps were just trippy as all hell as they should be mm-hmm. and ramen land of course we we pointed out the bones <laughs> logo 
the ramen dimension yes the ramen dimension which is could be my favorite place ever because i kind of <laughs> i want to go visit but apparently you'd be stuck there and all you could eat is ramen i would get tired of that <laughs> but this episode this is one episode i can't watch without food because then if not i'll get hungry it's kind of like watching Toriko. Toriko. Effect. Yeah, it's kind of like watching Toriko without food. It's just like not a good idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's Space Dandy in a nutshell. Well, at least this episode in a nutshell. Next yeah. week, next week uh, looks like we have a new character, mm-hmm. or maybe the same character. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and we are hopefully going to see more fan service. Yay! And what service? As Misato once said. <laughs> Actually. Well, I, I'm just copying the episode preview, like like mm-hmm. Misato again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there. I, I like how Meow is just like fan service already. I'm like d- he hasn't seen the show, or his own phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like I love how self referential Space Dandy is. Um, that's something I've always enjoyed is self referential humor in a lot of anime and a lot of comedy anime. And it feels like they're really taking it to another level. It's like the fourth wall doesn't even exist in Space Dandy most of the time. Well, this time they didn't break it as far as I could tell. Like, no. The they, made episode, so, they made references, but like it wasn't blatant fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Space Dandy, still fun, still awesome. Uh, as it stands right now, this is more Shinichi Watanabe than Shinichiro Watanabe. <laughs> when, when he's on his game. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even yeah. go that far because, like Shinichi Watanabe, his humor. I mean, yes, he's really funny, but his humor is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's so like because I, off the wall. yeah, because <laughs> you know, I I love Excel Saga, and I I I have like the guiltiest pleasure in my heart, even though it's super freakishly offensive for Puni Puni Poemi. Mm-hmm. Um, Tension with GXP. I just forget he ever directed. <laughs> don't remind me it just makes me cry or at least makes me want to just watch excel saga instead yeah that's what you should do you should watch excel saga instead and just be like nope i don't want to watch this it had an episode (laughs) that was deemed too offensive tv for tv and that was by design so that's why you should watch excel saga yeah well puni puni poemi is we're so off topic now just (laughs) because these guys have similar names yeah Okay, so that happened. Um, we're not going to talk about Pony Pony Poemi. No, because we can't. <laughs> no, we can't. Um, anyways, all right, so we're just going to go ahead and move on into the news. From Facebook, Twitter, and the official Toonami Tumblr, this is Toonami News, powered by ToonamiFaithful.com. Space Dandy comes in. It's so good to say Space Dandy at the beginning. I, I just want to pause for a moment and say, it's so good to say Space Dandy instead of Bleach at the beginning. Space Dandy. Oh, you're so uh, <laughs> That's so satisfying. So, it's so much, it brings me so much happiness to say something else uh, than to start it with Bleach every week. Okay, so <laughs> now that I'm going to get a ton of emails for that, Space Dandy starts out the week. from Darrell. Mo- Darrell's going to give me phone calls, not emails. <laughs> Which, in some essences, is more disturbing. Well, it's, uh, I'm used to it. Space Dandy <laughs> starts at 1,153,000. Bleach, 1,084,000. Naruto Shippuden, 933,000, which Naruto Shippuden also premiered. 
Uh, One Piece, 856,000. Soul Eater, 866,000. Sword Art Online, 773,000. FLCL, 605,000. Naruto, 685,000. FMA Brotherhood, 532,000. Ghost in the Shell, 500,000. IGPX, uh, 462,000. Star Wars The Clone Wars, 531,000. And Inuyasha, End of the Night with 547,000. That's a good way to stop, uh, start the year. I think we did pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. This might as well count as a holiday weekend for many, just because of how close it was to the new year and all kinds of other stuff. Um, I saw that yeah. a lot of people were, and I know you wanted to talk about this, and I'm just going to address it really, really quick, if you don't mind, Paul. Um, Go ahead, and then I'll have the floor. Okay. I'm going to give you the floor right after that. It's going to be hardwood Please. paneled. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we're um, talking about the floor for way too long. Get to the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a lot of people were freaking out about the low numbers for Space Dandy. But the fact remains that we were actually doing really well in terms of winning demographics. I have it right in front of me. It says um, Bleach, One Piece, Solider, each ranked number one in their respective time slots among adults 18 to 24 and men 18 to 24, 18 to 34. And then the world premiere of Space Dandy ranked number one in its time period with 18, men 18 to 24, 18 to 34. That matters more than hard ratings, no matter what our hard ratings are going to be or what the share is or this or that or anything else. So, you know, if you see low numbers like this, but if you see number one in its time period with men ranked 18 to 24, then that's what matters more. And that's what we really need to worry about. I would like to see the ratings higher too, but higher numbers doesn't necessarily mean that we won our time slot. That's what we want to hear is winning our time slot. So don't freak out too much, guys. Um, I, and I kind of knew it was going to be lower than what Boondocks would pull in because Boondocks is... Boondocks. <laughs> yeah, Boondocks is the Boondocks. This is Space Dandy, while it's a lot of people who have respected names in the community... It's still anime. Anime does just, just doesn't do as well as other shows. It just doesn't. Uh, you know, as much as we want to be like, oh, man, anime is mainstream. It's not. No. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I think we're getting there. Space Dandy starting out very promisingly. Uh, I think we're going to see more from it. Um, I think Shippuden, again, is... I- I'm surprised at Shippuden's numbers. That's the one that really got me like, huh? Well... I was expecting those to be higher. Well, mm-hmm. well, Shippuden's numbers are right around where Naruto's first episode started. Yeah. So that I wasn't really surprised by that, um, mm-hmm. but and I really do expect that to be over a million here. With mm-hmm. either if it's not this week, it's definitely going to be next week. I can't see how that's not going to be a million. Yeah. Right. Um, well, um, if I may, really quick, that show also won uh, in eighteen to twenty-four in its time slot. So once again. Let's say, I mean, I know I want the numbers to be higher, but at the same time, winning time slots is more important. So, yeah. Okay. Well, so Sketch, when he actually comes on this show, will address this a little bit better because I'm going, the way I'm going to explain it is probably not going to make sense. And I apologize. But um, the the thing that worried us about Space Tandy was not the, the hard rating or the demographics that it won. Um, the problem was is that it lost out to Nick at Night. And usually that time slot does not lose out to Nick at Night now before any both of you start jumping all over me. Um, I'm not going to jump a, all over you. I'm going to say how many old people are up, up that time of night for one. For another, there might have been a really, really good episode of All in the Family on for all we know. <laughs> well, first of all, there's th- this is this is the first week. So 
mm-hmm. as I always do, I don't measure things on the first episode. I measure things four weeks out. Um, that being said, I think Space Dandy will be higher this week. I hope that it will be higher because I've seen a lot of positive out of it. You know, there's there's one or two people out there, and what I mean by one or two people, maybe there's maybe like five percent of people that watch it are like, "What the hell is this shit?" Mm-hmm. You know. Other than that, I, I really see a lot of positives. So, I don't think it was so much the hard rating that came in. It was the fact that on Twitter there was all this positive out there, and we all thought, okay, this positive is going to lead us into a higher rating than what we thought it was going to be, and it it didn't come out to where at least I thought it was going to be. I think Sketch, like, like I said, Sketch can explain this a little bit better. Uh, so if he does come on at some point, he can explain what what we're talking about. But you know, basically, what I'm looking for out of Space Dandy, and I'm not looking at the show per se itself, but what I'm looking at is how we can um, keep that time slot. Because Jose is probably the biggest one that says, because people time and time again ask him on his Tumblr. So if Space Dandy fails, you know, what happens? And Jose's usual response is, what's your usual response to that? Um, we're all going to die. Well, no, no, <laughs> you basically say no. Basically, basically, just you know, my thing is more the world premiere thing. Uh, the eleven thirty slot, obviously. We, look, uh, Space Dandy's doing fine. I don't think we're gonna lose the eleven thirty slot. But again, you know, that doesn't mean don't watch it. Tell your right. friends, watch it. Well, I mean, you've always said on your Tumblr though, though, like the last couple times you have said it's just like, look, if you want more, if you want more world premieres, if you want to keep the eleven thirty time slot, right. you just gotta watch. Right. Even and, if and, you don't like it, just watch it. I don't yeah, and, tweets and, and are and still think, tweets. <laughs> and, my, and my point is, is what I would like to see out of Space Dandy, and I think we will start to see that. And you know, after four weeks, I'll be able to co- hopefully come back and say, okay, I'm comfortable where Space Dandy is. But, I'm comfortable where Space Dandy is. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm a little worried. Um, I'm looking like again. I got to look out four weeks. Um, I'm hoping this week will prove me wrong, and it'll be like 1.5. Uh, I would like to see between 1.5 and 2 because the problem is, is Bleach is brought in. The highest rating on Toonami was, oh God, it might be on that same, on on our website right there. But it was, I believe, 1.559 million viewers. Not last that was year. Bleach. Yeah, but yes, what last year. was that? <laughs> no, not um, last year. Uh, yeah, last year. Not this week. Well, no, not I was this saying, week. What, yeah, I was like, it depends, was on, it depends on when it was, Paul. It doesn't work that way. Well, no, in, in the summertime is going to be yeah. So that's where we get our huge jets here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look jet. at all the look at all the uh, quad and quint millions we were pulling last year around. Uh, what was it? The uh, August, you know, end of July, beginning of August, throughout August, you yeah. know, stuff like well, that. I, so no, it's I, like, I understand that, but what I'm saying to you is, is the the, the worry right now is that we can lose the 11:30 time slot. And again, I have to wait four weeks. I keep saying this to you, and you guys are starting to jump all over me. I have to wait four weeks before I can say, "Okay, I'm worried." You said the same thing six times. That's where we're jumping well, exactly. all over you. So I need um. to, I need to make sure that you understand that because you're starting to be stupid about this. No, you because know? you're saying it six times over and over again. We get it. Wait four okay. weeks. We know, Paul. Jesus. So anyway, well, Paul, you make good points, but the fact remains that. We are still in a tough time of year. Also, you got a lot of people going back to school the next couple weeks because um, you know how colleges have really long uh, – well, some colleges anyway have really long, like almost month-long breaks I, I for the holiday season. So it's I, like – you I know, you, you can't discount that. 
a lot of times what a lot of people worry about is, you know, stuff that's kind of out of our control. It ends up being like, you know, holiday weekends and then we got this and then we got that. And let's put it this way. You know, I, in Jason, we trust, that's all you need to say. That's all we need to say in Jason. We trust if he says we're doing okay. Here's the thing. We have to take in consideration that obviously the playoffs were going on. They were going on this week. Mm, That's another thing. That's another thing that Super Bowl's on Saturday this year, isn't it? No, Super Bowl's oh. always on a Sunday. Oh, okay, uh, why did I hear Saturday? <laughs> someone, well, Saturday. Said, someone said that to me, and I believed them for some reason. I was just like, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, huh? So, come on. Uh, you know, I, I, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, but the fact remains that, you know, in Jason, I, we trust. If we If he says we're doing okay, then, you know, we don't need to worry. I know that's not going to stop some people, but... <laughs> Well, I'm just I'm just talking for the for the people out there that are watching this carefully and really want Toonami to expand even more. Well, that's people, why, that's yeah. all people really about. shouldn't again, be watching and this again, carefully. If, if Sketch, it's not your job. If, when Sketch <laughs> comes on, he can explain what I'm talking about because I'm not doing a good job of it, like I said. So I'll let him do it when he comes on the next time. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain it. So yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's like I said, it's whatever. We're not gonna worry for a while and it was we are staying way too long on this we gotta Mm -hmm. go so ratings comparison uh boondocks we're including boondocks (laughs) it feels weird it feels weird to include boondocks but we have to because it was at 11 30 i guess you could say it is anime because it has a lot of korean animators on it but (laughs) that's not technically anime either but not technically no uh boondocks uh 1,331,000 311,000 thank you uh, Bleach, 1,164,000. Naruto, 1,235,000. Uh, Thundercats, 951,000. Samurai, 7, 929,000. Symbionic Titan, 814,000. Eurek, 7, 704,000. G- GXP, uh, 722,000. Uh, Brotherhood, 728,000. Bebop, 730,000. Bebop, 701,000. Inuyasha, 719,000. And Inuyasha ended the night with 688,000. So... Uh, better in some places, worse in others. Yes. Well, we're going up against, uh, like I said, it's going to be a little tough because we're going up against a, an established show in Boondocks at 11:30. In addition, um, you know, this was a record-setting year last year for Tsunami and uh, for Adult Swim in general in terms of ratings. So, uh, you know, we got to be, you know, thinking about uh, what Jeffrey Luria once called a market correction. He owns the Marlins, by the way. So. Um, yeah, I'm saying, you know, don't get too uh, jacked up about the numbers because, um, like I said, you know, it, it's tough to compete with a record-breaking year. And, you know, watch Space Dandy, you dumbasses. Yeah, just watch Space Dandy. Tell your friends. I told friends. I'm... Surely you have friends that liked Cowboy Bebop. Surely you have friends. You want the time <laughs> slot to stay. You want more world premieres. You got to watch Space Dandy, period. <laughs> We're spoon feeding it to you, like open your mouth. You're gonna have space, Danny. Damn it! Open your mouth, baby. Here it comes. So, uh, trending. Uh, oh my! Tw- Twitter was kind of broken last night, so we only have mobile trends uh, for whatever that's worth. Tsunami, uh, Space Dandy's Naruto Shippuden, One Piece, and uh, Sword Art Online. Sweet. That's it. That is yeah. all that trended. Bleach well, and trend. Like said- that that bothers me. Well, here's the thing: is that we continue actually this is the second week in a row that twitter has broken so either it is ill-equipped to handle 
the constant chirping by NFL plan fans during the playoffs or um, something is gravely wrong with Twitter in general because, you know, it can't keep on breaking every Saturday night like this. I hope well, not. I own stock happens, in it. What happened <laughs> not with, joking. Uh, I actually own stock in it. What happened with uh, the NFL last night, and obviously this should not be podcast, so I'm not going to really explain that, but whatever the controversy was, um, basically I think may have broke Twitter. So, I don't think there was a controversy. I think it was just, just uh, Seahawks fans during their usual chirping. So. Well, I'll explain that off the podcast. It's just playoffs. Uh, moving on to Tsunami Asia. They're talking about playoffs? You kidding me? They're talking about everything. I don't know. Football's a big thing on Twitter. Football fans, get off Twitter. It's for anime fans, damn it. Totally joking. Don't get off Twitter. Um, Tsunami Asia. fans can get off of Twitter, yeah. No, no, no. no. They can stay on Twitter. Stock, <laughs> stock goes up when crashes happen. I guess. <laughs> Tsunami Asia, yes. Uh, so Toonami Asia, we uh, we got some new Nami promos, and our good friend Kadesh Flow, a uh, friend of the show who spread music for the show and composer on OPP Japan, is b- the backing music for a lot of these promos. Uh, <laughs> so yay, Kadesh! Uh, congratulations on your success, man. We we're really happy for you. We're rooting for you. We hope to hear more of your music on Toonami promos, and we hope to hear more of your stuff in OPP Japan. Which comes mm. out in March, and they need to work on. Yeah, here's hoping that Kadesh becomes the Jay Z of Nerdcore. And if you want to read about that on my Tumblr, you can uh, pulpscroll.tumblr.com. <laughs> and uh, last last thing for uh, I guess news is the Evangelion 3.0 theatrical uh, release happened. And it was a thing. Yeah, it was a thing. Uh, I saw it. I did. I, I've seen it subbed and now dubbed, and. It felt shorter dubbed. Um, <laughs> probably because you saw the movie before. Probably that, but also like, oh my god, I, I don't know if you had this experience, but remember when we were watching Evangelion in, at Otakon? Mm-hmm. It just felt like the longest fucking movie of all time. It didn't feel long, but it did feel like it dragged in some places. Like, for me, this one, this time it was quick. I was just like, oh god, movies are moving really fast. Mm-hmm. The Eva, at Otakon, I was just like, oh my god, can we leave? <laughs> like I was enjoying it don't get me wrong I was enjoying it but I was just like holy shit I feel like I've been here for five hours what's going well, you, on well you might also want to count the uh, time we were standing in line and then the time we also had the you know we're waiting for the thing to start and we and, had Shinichiro Watanabe and exactly. we, we were busy that whole day so maybe that is a part of it but mm. still this was like I, I, I really like the dub in this one the dub came out really well together uh, that's uh, I guess that's the real question we should be asking is is the dub good? Yes. Do you care? And in other words, are dubs really really beautiful birds? Yes, they are. That was a bad pun. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the dub came together really nicely. It sounds good. Everybody's acting their ass off, and um, so you would say this: what well, the dub is better than the sub? I, I don't know about that because I I saw the sub in not the greatest environment. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, so sweaty nerds. But again, I never watch Evangelion. <laughs> if you count Jim, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, I was sweaty hey, just because I was working out that day. I, hey, I, hey. I was sweaty because I was at a convention and people be, threw shit at me. Be nice and also remember, also remember, also remember, it's oh, Baltimore in August and Otakon, which is like it, it's at the Baltimore Convention Center, which is a bajillion degrees and the smallest fucking place for a thirty-four hundred people convention. Thirty-four thousand. Mm. Thirty-four thousand. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I said. 
But yeah, uh, so Evangelion 3.0, uh, really good dub. I had another thought about it. What was it? Oh, I got a sticker. That was nice of you, Funimation. Thank you. Hey, thanks, and, Funimation. Uh, you guys rock. There is still no uh, release date on that Blu-ray, so we don't know when it's coming out. Hopefully, it'll be on Toonami. Uh, I think people will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. I had fun. Oh, I don't know about fun. Fun is not the right term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fun and Evangelion. I don't know how you can really put the two together because Eva, you know, is like you know, so soul crushing in places. I remember what I wanted to say now because I, I, I honestly don't watch Evangelion sub sub like watching it seriously sub for the first time was at Otakon. That was the Did first. It? Yeah, I, I usually always watch it dubbed. I like the dub uh, from ADV and um, from Funimation uh, with uh, some former ADV manga. regulars <laughs> and manga. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I think the dub just makes Evangelion easier to sit through. Like it just, Evangelion is such a slog period to sit through and you're just like, mm-hmm. always like, oh my God, I don't know if I could take the apocalypse for the 700th time <laughs> or Shinji whining for the 700th time. But knowing it's like, all right, at least I don't have to read, I guess, <laughs> makes yeah, exactly. that somewhat easier. And I'm not usually a guy who's just like, oh man, I hate reading. No, I don't, I don't mind subtitles. I'm pretty quick at it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching foreign movies since I was like 10, so <laughs> no problems here. But it just, it is, I don't know why, Evangelion is always just kind of the slog where I'm just like, oh, thank God there's a dub. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also a lot of, um, it, it's similar to Attack on Titan in many respects because there's so many, uh, uh, so much Germanic language that you get in the show as well that it just makes it easier to digest, you know, and it sounds more natural. Oh, and for the record, in case you want to know what the plot of Evangelion 3.0 is, I still don't know. <laughs> no idea. I don't know either. They didn't explain anything in that show. They were just that like... show? That movie. That movie. They were just like, hey, you've seen the TV show? Good. Forget <laughs> everything you know. <laughs> Some things still stand, but yeah, others, like, yeah, let's just forget those. Yeah, I mean, slight spoilers. It's not really spoilers. Uh, mm. If you saw 2.0, I guess. But spoilers, Ray is a clone of Ikari's mom. I don't know why I call him by his last name, Shinji's mom. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, that gets revealed in this movie. Uh oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a eh. it's been fifteen years or whatever, guys. Okay, it's not a spoiler. I'm sorry. It's just not. Statue of spoiler limitations. Yep. It's as definitely long since passed. <laughs> they've been it's been pretty obvious since the the, the like the first film i feel like they were like kind of hinting at it yeah exactly uh but yeah it's uh it's an evangelion movie mm-hmm. the apocalypse happens and shinji whines and kaoru is overly gay like i i kind of was i was kind of hoping they would tone that down but they don't have a choice with the animation they've been given Mm-hmm. There's just no way because even even the I don't know who the voice actor is who plays Kaoru. I believe it's Jerry Jewell. Well, if it is, good for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a great job, but it's just like just looking at the animation. Even even if he pulls his performance back a little bit, it's still gonna look gay. Like it still mm-hmm. comes off as gay, homosexual. And I'm not saying that to be bad. Of just the relationship that guy, not guy next, Studio Kara is trying to establish between these two is a much more homosexual one than was in the original television show. There was definitely homosexual overtones in the show, but mm-hmm. it's played up to the point here where it's almost a parody, and it's just, 
it's not supposed to be a parody. It's supposed to be Shinji is finally comfortable around somebody, and it's not a girl. And well, he finally well, basically, he has somebody. He that finally actually has a gets friend. Him. Yeah, well, he has a friend. He has somebody who gets him. He has he uh, has someone he, he can dump on. He's never mm-hmm. you know Ray Oscar Misato as as open as they've tried to be. They, they <laughs> not Oscar, but <laughs> not Os- maybe not Oscar, but like well, even Oscar in her own little way, she tries. But they have never been able to understand Shinji, and Kaoru is the only one who takes the time to do that. And people, you know, always implied it, and Gainax themselves didn't help with some of the merchandise they put out after the show. <laughs> but they, there was always a homosexual relationship implied between the two. This movie plays it up to the point of almost parody, where it's just like, oh my god, why? And that's that's really my big, like... That's my big like. Oh man, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. It's still very good. I still really like the movie. I think people are too down on this movie, but uh, that's that's my one actual large complaint. That it's just it's a little too far. I think that um, I don't mind. See. Let me let me also clear something up. I don't mind homosexual relationships or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. It's just I I don't want to see it pa- like as a parody. You want to see it done respectfully. Yeah, I want to see I want to see Brokeback Mountain where it's taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I want to see, you know, like in the show, I felt like they took that that overtone seriously. It wasn't played up for laughs. Here it mm-hmm. is. And it's just like it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. All, right, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean so, to interrupt. Yeah. So uh, I think that Eva 3.0 suffers a bit from being the next to last in the series. You know how the second movie in a trilogy usually ends up being pretty weak because it doesn't have a middle and it doesn't have an end. Um, I think Eva 3.0 kind of suffers from that as well. In Eva 1.0, there was a definite ending, aside from like the post-credits, you know, stinger. Same thing with 2.0, Eva 2.0. There, even though it was left open, even without the post-credits stinger, um, we had a definitive ending to 2.0. In 3.0, oh no, it is a cliffhanger and a half. You know, with um, I'm not going to say it, but well, yeah, um, we can't. We don't give away the ending. Ending. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't. <laughs> Snape kills Dumbledore. Everybody's a Cylon. You know, Rosebud so. was the sled. <laughs> so, yeah. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. <laughs> Vader so, is Luke's uh, father. Okay, I'm exactly. done. <laughs> All right, moving on. But yeah, that's that's the what I think is the real problem that 3.0 has through no fault of its own is that um it, it doesn't have an ending not a real one anyway and then you know who knows what's going to happen with uh eva 4.0 final because you know a lot of the stuff that they teased in the uh next episode thingy yeah, i guess you could call it for eva 3.0 it didn't happen in 3.0 yeah so. i'm pretty sure we'll never see any of this animation ever well, I, I know we'll be seeing the, uh, you know, the Eva that they uh, show in the Stinger, but in the uh, next episode preview. But. I, I don't know, because the way some of them were destroyed, it doesn't make sense. Eh, it kind of does. I mean, it, uh, no, it, I, I can't I, talk, I, any, I can't I just, talk anymore I remember, about this without going into spoilers. Yeah, we're going to go into it's, spoilers, it's but I, I'm just going to argue with you real quick. Like, it's, I, from uh-huh. watching it again, I'm just like, no, it actually can't. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I need but to anyways, see 3.0. I need to yeah. see 3.0 again, and I'm not going to until it comes out on Blu-ray because, well, I missed the screenings in Cambridge. Um, it shouldn't be too much longer, though, now because the um, – actually, they probably could have kept to their original release date, Funimation did, it could, because um, 
I checked the screenings on the website and They're all the latest over. ones that I saw, yeah, the latest ones that I saw were on the 16th in Canada. So, so they'll be over in like a week. Yeah, they'll be over by the end of the week. And I'm just saying, you know, why is why does Funimation feel the need to delay this? Are they getting additional materials? It or? might not be Funimation. <laughs> it might Maybe. not be Funimation. It might be just uh, Studio Kara. Studio Kara, yeah. Which would make me a little sad, but because I don't like to be denied of my Evangelion. But who knows? Maybe they uh, have an announcement. Uh, you know, once they also announce the new, I'm sure uh, it'll be it'll be soon. They'll announce when it's going to come out soon. Oh, I hope so. But I'm thinking maybe they delayed it to do a combination announcement with you know it's like okay, so we've got Eva 4.0. We're teaming up with Studio Kara to announce Eva 4.0 that we have it, and then also we are going to announce the license rescue at long last. The pen, um, you know, I don't we, think we've, we'll we've, we've reached rescue an, for a we've while. We've reached an agreement in principle. Well, my idea is that we've reached an agreement in principle, meaning nothing's final yet, but we've reached an agreement in principle to rescue the Evangelion TV series. Well, it's not Kara they Blu-ray. would have to talk to. It's Gynex. Mm. It's a different company yeah. completely. Mm. So okay. Gynex might just be like, nope. <laughs> so who knows? I mean. I mean, but as it stands right now, Funimation remains the front runner to get the series. But that's another story. If Sentai gets it, well, oh, I'd, be, I'd be happy. <laughs> I, no, I'd be happy. I'd be like, all right, sweet. We got Eva again. Hooray. I'd be, ha- I'd be happy, you know, for the exact same reasons. But I'd be thinking, ooh, shots fired, you know. Gynax versus Kara. Who wins? No one. Um, <laughs> the fans win. <laughs> everyone just goes to Trigger and leaves Gynax alone. Exactly. Um, anyways. That was some really nerdy anime politics that we just talked about. <laughs> we love Evangelion, the alpha and omega of anime. <laughs> it was nerdy-ass politics. Anyways, without further ado, the real reason you're all here, Sunny Straight interview right now. Hey everybody, we are back, and with us tonight is someone you have all requested a lot. We finally got him, uh, the original Tom, Sonny Strait. Hello out there. Hey. How are you guys doing? Well, uh, I'm sure they're all saying fine at simultaneously. I, I'm very good at Thank you so much for joining us out of your very busy schedule. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, and it's finally happening. Uh, so, I guess we'll just get right into it. Okay. Uh, the uh, first thing I guess people I guess want to know who, who maybe don't know who you are. Uh, how did you get your start in voice acting? Uh, I did a lot of theater in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I was a theater major in college, and I stuck with it uh, after school. But I wasn't really serious about it. Um, at least not making a career out of it. It was just something I enjoyed doing. And um, Funimation moved to Texas and had open auditions for Dragon Ball Z. And I, I didn't expect to get a part. A friend of mine auditioned for it, and she knew Chris Sabat, and he asked her if she would audition, and I knew her from theater circles. But she didn't get a part, but she told me that she recommended Chris call me because I did a lot of character uh, roles in theater. So Chris called me up, and um, I went into the audition and got the part of Krillin, 
but uh, it still wasn't a career to me because, you know, Krillin dies quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, I still just consider it like a fun part-time job. And Cartoon Network saw what I did with Krillin and really liked it. And they asked me if I would be willing to audition for this new character that was going to be the host uh, for Toonami called Toonami Tom. And um, when I got that part, I kind of realized I stumbled onto a career. And we'll, we'll come back to Tom in a second. Uh, but I also want to know, you also write a, a lot of cool comic books like We Shadows and uh, and uh, mm-hmm. okay, what's the other one? Like Sex something. The Gilbert's. Yes, that's it. <laughs> well, uh, I actually, the Sex Gophers is mostly my drawing. And so is We Shadows writing and drawing. And so how did, how did you first start getting into comic books? When did you decide, okay, I'll, I'll do this? Well, I had always drawn, and I, I was a staff artist for the school paper, both in high school and college. Um, I, I tried my hand at drawing comic strips, you know, I thought I wanted to be a syndicated comic strip artist in, the, in my early twenties and received a lot of rejection letters and pretty much gave up on it. When I went to college in, at the university of North Texas and I met this guy doing his own comic book called the sex scopers from hell. And it was really funny, but you know, the drawing was very crude. But I liked it a lot, so I drew uh, a cover for him. I said, hey, I, I just I really like your book, and I drew a cover. You can use it or not use it, you know, whatever. And he said, dude, I love it. Why don't you draw the book? And I'd never tried to draw a comic book before, but I thought I'd give it a shot, and I loved it. And um, we did uh, several uh, of these mini-comics together, and sort of become known as, you know, local celebrities. Like, we were the, we were the sex doper guys. And people would buy us drinks in bars and shit like that. I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, and then we got a book, we got a, a short story published at Antarctic Press, which is one of the first companies to uh, bring manga to this country. Uh, and it was a, in a magazine called a Mangazine, actually. And... So then I dropped out of school because I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm published now. I don't need you. And I worked for several years. We had a a series called Mr. Average. And uh, we had a series called Jack. And then I was about 33 years old when I got on Dragon Ball Z. And the first major convention they took us to was Comic-Con. And at Comic-Con, I, we were set up, our table was set up next to Wendy Peeney, who was the creator of ElfQuest. And it turned out that Wendy was a fan of Dragon Ball Z. So she started drawing pictures of our characters and giving it to us as gifts. So I thought I was going to surprise her. So I drew all of the voice actors who were there. I think it was Chris Sabat, Sean Schimmel, and Stephanie Nadolny, who play, well, Chris is mostly known for Vegeta and Piccolo and... Sean is known for Goku, and Stephanie Nadalny was Gohan at the time. And I drew all those characters with Krillin looking at Wendy Peeney's main character from ElfQuest, Cutter, and I gave it to her as a gift. And she hired me on the spot to draw ElfQuest. And then I moved out to Los Angeles, and I worked in her studio, and I uh, became her apprentice, and I drew two 58-page ElfQuest stories. And... It started a really started a, a very important friendship in my life as well. 
I mean, we're still friends to this day. That was back in 2001. And recently she hired me to colorize the new health quest for Dark Horse. Now, how is it how is it actually working with Wendy? Because uh, obviously she is, she is a big deal in the comic book community and, you know, she does ElfQuest and whatnot. Yeah, uh, it really well. I mean, we kind of recognize each other as kindred spirits, like from day one. And um, when she first hired me, I was still living in Dallas. And I kind of felt like my artwork had hit a ceiling. So I called her up and I said, hey, um, I'm going to draw this book for you, but I, I want to change the terms. And she thought I meant I wanted like more money. And I said, no, 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 the money's fine. But what I want to do is I want to be your apprentice. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I consider you one of the few comic book masters we have left, you know, especially ones that have influenced me. And um, I would love to study under you. So she said, all right, move to California. You can work in my studio. So I worked in the studio, and every day I would draw a page, and she would look at it, and she'd say, this works, this doesn't work, and she'd tell me why. And it was the greatest learning experience of my life. I mean, I learned more in that year than I did 10 years by myself. And while we were there, we got to be just really close friends, and we now call each other siblings because we're that, we're that close now. Now, there's a lot of uh, ElfQuest, I think, influence in, in We Shadows. Um, did, mm-hmm. did We Shadows kind of come out of from that experience, or was that something you just always wanted to do? Actually, I, I, We Shadows was an idea I had on the back burner for years, and I didn't know what to do with it. Um, but I met another ElfQuest artist named Jeff Zugale while I was working for Wendy, and he and I would get drunk together occasionally, and we got really drunk one time, and I just spewed off this whole idea I had for uh, We Shadows. But at the time, I was just calling it Goat, because Goat's the main character. And uh, I'd forgotten about that, and then a couple of years later, after I'd stopped working for Wendy, Jeff said, hey, I'm going to be coming to Dallas for a convention. Uh, do you want to share a table? We can sell some of our old ElfQuest books or whatever. And I said, sure, that sounds cool. And by this time, I was writing and directing and acting in Funimation, and I was way too busy to think about doing comic books anymore. That was just something fun that I did at one time. And Jeff and I were sitting at the table, and an acquisitions editor from Tokyo Pop came to our table and said, hey, I'm looking for Sonny Strait. And I said, that's me. And he goes, oh, man, I love your ElfQuest stuff. And I went, well, thank you. And he goes, so do you have anything for us to do? And I said, no. <laughs> I was just flat out, no, I don't have anything. Uh, I'm busy. I don't have stuff to do. Uh, I, can't, I don't have anything for you guys. And Jeff looked at me like I was completely idiotic, and he said, dude, what about goat? And I went, goat? And he said, goat. And I went, yeah, goat. <laughs> and the guy was like, what the hell is goat? So I told him the basic idea for this thing, and he uh, said, that sounds really cool could you draw me four pages and send it to this email address and uh, we go from there. I said, okay. So I sent him a synopsis with those four pages. And about two months later, I heard back from him and he said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I just got back from my tour of all these conventions looking for talent. I just now turned in your uh, pages. So if any of the other editors like your work, you'll hear from them. Well, two weeks later, I heard from an editor there, and he said, I want to I go with this. Now, at the time, um, 
the style I presented to him was a very American style. And he said that, that Tokyo Pop is trying to move in another direction. They want to publish more American styles than just anime and manga styles. And so he took it to a meeting. Now, they have these pitch meetings with all the editors, and the editors tell them if they think this is a go project or not. And he came back and he says after the meeting that I had the whole editing staff split down the middle. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, half the people like your stuff, but they think that it's um, too different from the manga we produce. And the other half like it, and they just want to keep it the same. And I said, well, what if I did another proposal and I drew in an anime style? And he goes, can you do that? And I said, dude, I stare at anime all day long for my day job. I think I could fake it. And he goes, okay, well, I'll try it. See what you can do. So I did four more pages, the same pages, except drawn in an anime style. And uh, he, to his credit, he didn't want to push me either way. So he called me back and he said, how do you feel about the, uh, the manga style, the anime style? And I said, well, now that I've done it this way, I can't see it any other way. And he said, okay, well, that's good, because everyone loves it. <laughs> I said, okay, cool. So if you look at like the early, the first, especially the first two graphic novels that are on WeShadows.com, you can see what is my attempt at a, a manga style. And it looks a lot different than Wendy Peeney's uh, Elf Quest. Well, cut to a few years later, and Tokyo Pop goes under. And I was one of the few people that had a stipulation in my contract that allowed me to get the rights back if they didn't print it. So I got my rights back. I put it online. And once the first two graphic novels had played out online, I decided that uh, I was going to start drawing it again. But this time I didn't want to force into some fake manga style, you know, because that's not really who I am. Who I am is much closer to Wendy Peeney style. And, you know, she's a huge influence on me anyway. So what you're seeing there is, you know, after two full graphic novels in a manga style and me trying to just draw the way I want to. And with, when the way I want to is very similar to Wendy Peeney's style. Uh, that's, um, that's more the intermission story and Olio, right? Yes, exactly. That. Mm -hmm. So speaking of you're you're now not doing physical novels anymore. Uh how is the online environment uh different and and do you do you like it better? Do you like it worse than working with uh Tokyo Pop or any other publisher? Oh, I'll tell you what, I like it a lot better. Um it's just you cut out a lot of middlemen when you when you're doing it by yourself, you know, I don't have to sell nearly as much uh on my own. Uh compared to what I have to sell with them to make, you know, a decent amount of money off of it, right? But also, I've taken a, a sabbatical from uh, from We Shadows and pissed a lot of people off online. But um, last summer, my cousin died. He was a very, very close cousin. I mean, he and I were raised in the crib together, you know? And when he died, it was just kind of like, I, I've got to take a break from this. And luckily... Uh, Wendy called me and she said, I really need you to colorize this if you can. You can be my colorist for the new ElfQuest story. And I was like, yeah, I would love to color this. It's called the ElfQuest, the final quest. And she is wrapping up this story that she's been doing for over 35 years now. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I jumped on that in a heartbeat. I was to be a part of this thing that, it, that influenced me since I was 14 
and now to be a part of its uh, closing story is just awesome. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's a little too soon to ask, but is there is there any plans to eventually wrap up o- Olio or the rest of We Shadows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a skeletal structure in my head of where I want the stories to go. And uh, when I get some breathing time, I'll get back to it, I'm sure. Um, and the other thing, that you're a very multi-talented man, uh, I might add. But the other thing I <laughs> want to talk to you about is your music. Uh, you have a band called... Oh, crap, I love White it. Girl. White Girls, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can go to whitegirlstudios.com um, to hear our latest stuff. Yeah, that actually was started out, um, my wife uh, is an incredible singer, and she was looking to start a band, and she realized how hard it is just being a singer trying to start a band, you know, getting people to join the band. So I said, okay, well, what if I learned how to play, like, bass guitar? And she said, okay. So I just figured out how to play bass guitar, and I got to where I could play pretty much any ACDC song. And uh, so that was a bass player and a singer looking for a band, and we had a lot more options. And, you know, I've been singing since I was um, in high school, and, uh, you know, being a voice actor, too, I've, I had to sing on several occasions for Dragon Ball Z Kai's theme song and um, Sobe King. So um, she then, then we started being able to get more people in. Well, we, we, she, sung, she finally got into a band, and I just said, okay, good, I don't need to do this anymore. And she's got a whole other band to, to work with. And I thought I was out of the music business. And then she decided she wanted to start another band. It was a punk rock band. And she said, but you have to sing with me on it. And I said, do I play bass? She goes, no, just I just want you as a singer. So we started this band together called White Girl. And it was started out as a tribute band of a band uh, called X. It's a punk rock band that was playing since the 70s. And so most of our songs were then. And then I, the, I started, you know, the more you listen to music, the more you get ideas. And I started coming up with these songs. And uh, I had just recorded them and put them in my computer. Well, the band dismantled. And one of the members of the band, my friend Neil, who's also a Funimation uh, uh, sound guy, he's actually one of the top engineers in the country, uh, he took one of the songs that I wrote and made it into an electronic, you know, more industrial type sound. And I really liked it. And I said, that's cool. Well, I had already set up for this one band to come out to play at a convention. And I had quit the band. And I said, Neil, do you think you and I, between the two of us, we could write an album together in six months? And he said, yeah, I think we could. So... I called up this convention. I said, hey, the band I was in is no longer around. I've got a new band that I front with my wife, uh, and it's only three members, um, but it's all originals. Uh, what do you think? And they said, yeah, bring them out. We'll, we'll, we'll bring them out there. So then Neil and I sat down from scratch and made an album. And our first practice was at the gig, <laughs> at the convention. Um, so and it went over really well. So we got other games. We actually have another one coming up in two months. Now, with all these artistic outlets, voice acting, singing, and, and comic books, uh, do you feel like these all feed into each other, or or vice versa? How, how do you? Does it all feed into voice acting? Does it all feed into uh, just your artistic need to do more? 
I think they do feed into each other, and I think you know what you learn from one you can add to another. But what I really think is that all art comes from the same source, and I don't know what that source is. You know, you could call it God, the Force, your subconscious, or whatever. But whatever that is that you're tapping into is the same for uh, everything you do. It's just what you tend to grok to. Like you're, if you're into to the idea of playing guitar and you're creative, uh, you're going to tap in the same source that you would if you drew. You just, you, it's just what you're into and how you express it. And I'm just, I'm one of those people, if I see somebody doing something artistic, I want to do it. And a lot of times, you know, it's like I'm not very good at it and I just keep working at it until I am. But eventually when I get pretty good at something, I realize that it's, it's still the same source as, you know, when I'm drawing or acting. Now, uh, and kind of tying into that, uh, you've also written scripts for anime and, of course, for comics. Uh, yeah. So how, how is uh, writing for one media format different from the other, would you say? Writing for uh, anime is probably the most difficult thing you can do. Uh, and you would think that it wouldn't be because it's, it is basically the story's already been written. You know, your job is to make it sound pal- palatable to American ears, you know. But you also, since in this country, in Japan, they don't care about matching mouth flaps as much, but here we try to sync it up as close as possible. So what you're doing when you're writing an anime script, you're, look, you're, you're writing every line to match, to match the flaps and sound like an American person saying it. And what it really is, it's like writing poetry, you know, because when you write poetry, you write to a certain meter. And different kinds of poems have different kinds of meters. Well, it's like writing a different poem and a different meter for every line. You know, because that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, with poetry, you're trying to match a, a meter to express this idea. Well, when you're writing a, uh, a line in Japan, you know, as in Nanji Deska, which is what time is it, you have to figure out how it matches the flaps to that and how to say it in a way that'll, that'll match those flaps. Uh, and luckily, I mean, we already have it translated, but our, rush, our translations are usually really rough. And they're getting less rough now than they used to be. In the old days when we were writing scripts, it was, uh, you had to watch the show probably about three times while reading the rough translation just to figure out what's happening. And then what you did realize, you go, oh, I see what they're trying to say. They're trying to say this. Now, how do I say that and match those mouth flaps? So it's, it's very difficult. Um, so you've also directed, uh, Lupin third, which is yeah. really cool. I, I just want to know how aware were you guys of the West coast version going on at the same time? I mean, I, I, I know, know I know one of the companies had it separately, but it was, how was it recording at the same time as those guys? Yeah. Cause we got, um, I think 11 movies loop on the third movies, but at the same time, Funimation had bid for the TV show. But Pioneer won the bid on the TV show. We won the bid on the movies. Now, they didn't tell any of us directing or acting that that was going on. So we didn't even know that there was another company putting out Loop on the Third. And I had done like uh, like four or five movies, um, most all but one I had directed at that point. And I went to Comic-Con that year, and I saw this big display for Loop on the Third. And I was like, 
oh, cool. Well, that must be, because it wasn't Funimation, so I thought it must be the Japanese version or something. And then they were playing some scenes, and I'm like, that's not me. What the hell's going on? Who is this? <laughs> I thought it was Pioneer. And I went, but do you know that Pioneer's got a version of Little One the Third? Yeah, they won the bid on that. I went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, we were first. We were first for about two months before them. But uh, they pretty much, our first movie and their release came about the same time. Now, are, are there any particular Lupin adaptations that you wish you could have had instead of, you know, one of the other voice actors? Yeah, I wish we had all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be known as the Lupin the Third. Now, we did get the latest uh, series, The uh, uh, Woman Called Fujiko Mine. Yes, which I love, by the way. It was great. Oh, thank you. I didn't have time to direct that one, but it was like, it was cool to play Lupin again. And it's, it's such a... If you're a fan of the manga, like I am, you realize right away that they really tried to draw in the style of Monkey Punch. And it, it's just a joy to watch, and it's so weird-looking. I mean, it's, just, it's so different than the typical anime you see. And the story is dark, you know? I mean, Lupin still has his goofy Lupin moments, but the story is much darker than what you're used to seeing. Uh, and the other thing that's... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. Uh, the other thing I think that's really cool is that you brought some of the West Coast cast into Lupin the uh, Third on this version of Fujiko Mine. Um, how was it to to you know combine the two casts? Well, that was Chris Sabat's idea. Now, Chris he had directed the first Lupin movie, and he's actually the one that gave me my first directing job. Uh, after I had acted in the first Lupin, he said, "You seem to really have an understanding of this show." He said, have you ever directed? And I said, I directed theater. I've never directed voice acting. And he goes, well, let's try you out on the next movie as a director. And so I did. And he goes, oh, you've got this. So he just let me have all the Lupin movies, which led to me directing Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball and uh, Case Clothes and several other shows, too, at that time. I mean, I, I think there was just me, Chris Sabat, and Mike McFarland at first. And I think Justin Cook came along shortly after that, too. So there was plenty of work for four directors to do. Um, but cut to doing Fujiko Mine, uh, we don't have available the same cast members that we did back then. I mean, that's you know over a decade ago. And so he used the people that were still around at Funimation uh, but then he was like, okay, wouldn't it be cool if we got some of the people from, you know, the other Lupons to come over here? So that's, he contacted them and managed to get a couple of the cast members to come over. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it worked out great. It sounds awesome. And the dub is amazing. Like it's just, I, I, that show is one of those few shows where I, I have some pretty well-defined definitions of Lupon and, and yeah. that whole cast kind of just redefined a lot of them for me. I was just like, well, I've never had a show really, you know, make me think about all these characters in such a different light, especially like uh, Zenigata. Lupin, I think, gets to stay the same in the show, which is great because he's wonderful, goofy, smart guy. Uh, but, you know, just, just to see it in such a dark light and with such a different animation style, it's just a, it's just a marvel. Dude, I have to agree with you. It, it's, it is my favorite anime I've seen so far. And it is it also, like I said, it's so different than your, your typical anime. But then Monkey Punch is a different kind of, you know, cartoonist too, you know. He didn't draw in the typical 
um, manga style. As a matter of fact, his influences were Mad Magazine artists. So, and he's an example I said at conventions when people talk about drawing in a manga style. I said, well, really, there's not a real definition of what a manga style is. That's just a Japanese cartoonist. You know, it's, it's a mangaka. That's that's all there is to it. I mean, if you looked at if you didn't if Monkey Punch didn't exist, and he was just some cartoonist in America and started drawing in this style and tried to sell it to Tokyo Pop as a manga style, they'd say, "Get out of here! That's not manga," because it's just so different from what manga you know typically looks like. But uh, yeah, I I, I, re- I really think that he was like um, an innovator and a pioneer, uh, and and his stories just lended themselves to so much, such a range, you know, from comedy to, to serious drama. And it's, it's rare to find a storyline that can handle all of that. And, and Lupin definitely does. And Fujiko Mine is a prime example of that. Probably the, the icing on that Lupin cake. The other thing, speaking of Monkey Punch, it must have been really cool to work on the one movie he actually directed. You were actually the Lupin in that movie. In fact, I think it's the only anime he directed uh, that was Dead or Alive. Oh, God, yeah, that's a good one. Was... Yeah, and, but you know the cool thing about Lupin and doing the movies was that every cool uh, director from Japan wanted to do a Lupin movie. So we got to see these incredible different styles and approaches to it. And, and Dead, or Alive, Dead or Alive is definitely one of my favorites. Um, also, uh, I can't remember what we finally went with. It was Crisis in Tokyo or Tokyo Crisis um, on the final box on it. But that's one of my favorites, too, where everyone's character, nobody, nothing works for anybody except Zenigata. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Zenigata kind of gets the girl at the end, too. So it's it's cool. Well, and speaking of Zenigata, and this will probably be our last topic on Lupin. He he's so much darker in this version the fact that he gets to uh he gets to I guess slight spoilers for everybody who hasn't seen Fujiko Mine. He gets to sleep with Fujiko. I know. And Lupin does it. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems typical for Lupin. That didn't change. Yeah, that's true. I can see that happening, but not that I got it. Oh no. <laughs> oh, way to go, Pops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but sw- and for those who have not seen it, they they really need to check it out. It's it's uh, it is uh, a high watermark in anime. Available on Blu-ray from Funimation and on iTunes. Go check it out. Thank you for the plug. No problem. I, I bought that immediately. It was awesome. Uh, the the thing I want to change up to now is uh, Dragon Ball Z a little bit. How are you? Because there were so many people who recorded a theme for Dragon Ball Z Kai. How how right. exactly did you get your, uh, I guess, foot in the door to, to do your own version of it? Well, the only thing I'd ever done singing-wise at Funimation is I'd sang a couple of lines from uh, uh, One Piece as Usopp, and I'd done some back, background singing for stuff. Um, but that, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think somebody in my... Cause, uh, a couple of people from my band were actually working at Funimation and they were looking for different actors to sing uh, the Kai song. And somebody up there suggested Sonny Strait because he's got a band. Well, I got a call from uh, the girl who books uh, us to record. She said, um, uh, yeah, I need you to come in and to sing something. And I went, okay, and that's all, that's all I got. I have to sing something. 
So I show up there and I'm expecting to do some background singing or whatever. And uh, they said, we're ready to sing the theme to Dragon Ball Z Kai. And I went, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you, give me a little heads up, guys. <laughs> so I went in there and just basically sang cold uh, and uh, put it out. But it was so cool to be part of that group of people who got to sing it. I think there were five of us. Yeah, that must be like the most re-recorded dub theme ever, I think. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, it's pretty funny the way they did it. Well, I think it came about because um, because Vic, um, Yana, was, uh, he'd sang a lot of our theme songs, right? And But then there was some, some people, other people who were directors or producers of Funimation wanted uh, Sean Schimmel to sing it because Sean Schimmel's Goku. And they're like, how cool would that be, Goku singing the theme song to the show he stars in, right? Um, and I think there was like they'd already picked one. So they said, why don't we just do both? And then they thought, why don't we get several people to do it? And that's how I got in it. Uh, and now switching, I guess, to everybody's favorite uh, bald headed character from the show. Uh, Tommy, Tommy, hot people. <laughs> now uh, you came in on Krillin. You came to do Krillin uh, in a very weird point in the series. The Ocean cast was leaving. The new Texas cast was coming in. How much pressure was there? Uh, for you to sound like the old voice actor, or did or they like make this character your own? Well, you know, it wasn't pressure. It was just that's what they wanted. Um, and at that time, Dragon Ball Z was not the highest rated animated show. I think it was uh, around 20th place or something. Uh, it was rising, but it was still way back. Um, but they'd already, you know, it's already been on the air. So the so people had already seen the full season of this. So when Funimation moved to Texas, they, they wanted people to, who could imitate, you know. And so all of us were mimics. Everyone who got a part got a part because they could sound like the original voice. And the original Krillin sounded something like this. Like, hey, guys, wait up. Ah! Well, it's been 14 years, so I'm having a hard time remembering exactly how it sounded. <laughs> but it was somewhere in this range. And so I got the, the part because I could sound like Terry Clausen, who is the Canadian Krillin. But after I got the part, I mean, it was a, the first week I'm recording, and I'm nervous because I've never done this before. And the director, Barry Watson, a good old boy from Texas, and he said, you know, that sounds just like Terry Clausen's Krillin. Uh, well, thanks. He goes, but I hate that voice. <laughs> like, well, Okay. And I thought he was going to fire me, you know? Uh, well, is there anything I can I can change it. I'm a versatile guy. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just want you to do something different. And um, I said, what do you want? And he goes, well, Krillin's a midget, but he's the world's strongest human being, you know? And I went, so like a tough midget? He goes, yeah. And Popeye the Sailor has always been my favorite character of any genre. So I said, what about like Popeye on helium? And he goes, well, what does that sound like? And I went, I don't know, something like this. Come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> and he went, uh, yeah, use that. <laughs> so suddenly uh, I was the first person to be able to do what I wanted with this character just because Barry couldn't stand that voice. And uh, eventually, and I would say probably toward the end of the first season, you start hearing the voices of all the characters change more towards what the actors would really want to do. And by the second season, it, 
it was hard to say that this sounded anything like the original cast, you know, so it was a gradual progression. But for me, it was like right away. And so got a lot of mixed mail on that. You know, there's a lot of hate mail at first because that doesn't sound like Krillin. And then a lot, you know, a lot of people said, I like it better. And a lot of people said, I don't like it. Eventually they came to know it as the only Krillin. Yeah. I, I feel like once you, once you get used to it, you know, cause there are jarring changes everybody calms down, but I've always liked that version of Krillin because it, it didn't sound, I, I don't want to make fun of the ocean cast or anything like that. Cause I think they did a tremendous job, but yeah. it, you know, I, I don't, I don't like it when people just come in to imitate something. Sometimes you just have to make it your own to make it work. And I think that's eventually what you guys ended up doing. And I think that's why the show is as popular as it is today still. Well, you know, the second thing I did, as soon as I, I realized that I could do whatever I want with this character, is I went and researched. I went into Gen's office. And Gen had, at this time, like all of the manga for Dragon Ball Z up on his shelf. And I said, whoa, that's all the manga? for?" He goes, yeah. And I said, can I borrow that? And he said, sure. So I took it home and I read it. I read Dragon Ball and read Dragon Ball Z. And I was like, oh, this is such a cool resource. Because when you're reading comics, you got a voice in your head of how these characters should sound, you know? And so it was like, oh, I'll just do the voice that's in my head. And so I took this Popeye on helium thing and tailored it to more fit this personality that I now understand who he is, you know? And, um, and from then on, if I got a character that's in a long-running series, I will go back and read the manga on him. Sometimes we don't have time for that because, you know, some shows only have six episodes. Um, but if I can, I will go back and read the manga because I think it's a really good way to hook into their brain. So have you have you done that for Usopp, if I may ask? I did that for Usopp. I did that for Maze Hughes from Full Metal Alchemist. Um, uh... That, those might have been the main ones that I've done it for. I, I have read other mangas on the characters I've been in, but the rest of them, I don't think I have as much time to do it. Um, now, the other thing I want to know, because you were there pretty much at the beginning uh, when Funimation started doing voice acting in-house. Uh, how, yeah. how have you seen the change uh, from Funimation back then to now? You know, How have they streamlined? Well, we started out, they, had a, a, they were in a room on the second floor of a small bank building. And it was basically just a corner. And then it spread out to the whole, you know, wall of that, that building. Like, you know, four walls of this building, this one side was all Funimation. And then Funimation sold uh, the company to Navarre. And Navarre decided they want to invest a lot of money in this. So they moved to the facility we're in now, which is about the size of a football stadium. Uh, it's a huge facility. And, you know, it's grown quite a bit. I mean, we have had hundreds of titles come in and out instead of just three to four that we're working on. And we've have uh, much nicer recording studios. We have how many studios, how many recording booths we have? We have one, two, three, five. I'd say at least seven or eight uh, booths that we record in, maybe more than that. And we've got uh, television production areas. We have movie production studios that they work with other companies and stuff like that. I mean, it's huge. And also what's weird is that I have to keep inventing myself and showing that what I can do. And because the, most directors know you for what you just did last, you know, they don't know what, what else you've done. And I, I've worked for like 14, 15 years over here. 
Um, but people still forget things I've done in the past. Like I was a couple of years ago recording something for a director and um, it was a fight scene for this character. And after I did the fight scene, she said, wow, I didn't know you could do fight scenes. That was awesome. I said, what do you mean you didn't know I do? I was Krillin. <laughs> oh, right. I used to think of you as Maze Hughes. <laughs> it's like, wow. So uh, you, have keep, you have to keep fighting for it. And like, um, if you're still there after all this time, you know, you, you're really showing something because uh, we now have a stable of at least 300 actors that we can choose from. And so just... the people who are still there from you know, back at the beginning, you know, they're, they're competing with all these other people too. We all have to audition. Occasionally, We'll get cast in something without auditioning, like, um, you know, the, the show Soul Eater? Right. Yeah, I played Ragnarok in that. I didn't have to audition for that. Um, it was funny, too, because, you know, Ragnarok starts out as this sword with a mouth that screams like a banshee, and then he's this horrible, evil demon that's, you know, possessing this person's, this little kid. And I thought, Wow. Zach Bolton sees something different in me than anyone else because I've never played a character like this. Then you get a few episodes into it, and then Ragnarok becomes this chibi thing that sounds like an angry Krillin. And I went, oh, that's why you cast me. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have been cool to have that at the beginning where you are a threatening presence. Well, yeah, and then I'm able to show my chops on something different as well, you know, because now that's on tape. So on tape, we don't do tape anymore. <laughs> That's recorded. So people can see, you know, that, oh, okay, Sonny can do that kind of voice if I need it. Now, uh, I guess before we get into Tom, uh, any any roles that you feel kind of close to after all these years? Well, I felt close to Tom. That's definitely there. Uh, Krillin is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Mace Hughes is uh, Zinjiro from uh, Kodacha very obscure anime that we did two seasons of. He was such a fun character to do. He was just Bucktooth guy who talked like this, and he was very silly. Uh, let's see. Uh, Apachai from Kenichi, another one I really love doing. And, um, and of course, but now my favorite of all of them is Usopp. And I never thought I would say that about Usopp. I like doing Usopp. I thought he's a fun character, and he's funny. But the story arcs that he's gotten into recently uh, require him to be beaten and, and bloodied and he's humiliated and he's crying and angry all at the same time. And I was recording one scene where he's just, he, he got beat up and his money was stolen and he, he knows it's because he's weak and he's crying while he's doing it. And while I was recording it, I actually had tears falling down my face and I went, holy shit, that's never happened to me before. And I went, okay, you are my favorite character now. You actually moved me. Um, yeah, it's funny that you should mention that because that that just aired a couple of weeks ago on Toonami. The one that just aired was the Usopp versus Luffy fight, and the thing that people were constantly saying on Twitter uh, was just, "Oh my god, I didn't think this character was so deep." And you know, and I was just like, "Oh man, you don't know One Piece." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this was that was powerful. That scene is powerful. And definitely one of my favorites out of there. Although there, there are scenes that I like even more than that that are around that time period. Um, and then you know, where he goes from there is even more badass. But I did get a lot of uh, Facebook comments this past week because everybody saw it aired. 
and they don't usually mention too much about One Piece on there, but now they're talking about it. And I knew they would. I mean, that that's a real uh, crowd pleaser, that scene. And you knew we knew while we were recording it, people were going to just go crazy over this. Oh, I that's my favorite episode of the, the whole series. Yeah, it's, it's I, I saw I saw it subtitled, and I was just like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this dubbed. It's, it's probably going to kick ass, and it's, and it's still my favorite episode. And uh, just seeing – I saw it dubbed for the first time last week, and it was just amazing. I was like, oh, my God, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that finally aired it. Now it's going to even get more interesting. Um, and it was weird, too, because like I was yeah, – I told you I read the manga, and I, I, I watched a lot of the anime, too. Um, and so I knew that I was going to be singing the Sniper King or Sogi King song originally um, five years before I started it. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait till I get to do that. Yep. At it's, least it's a spoiler, I guess, for people who are just watching it on TVs, but they don't know who that is. <laughs> they don't know. They don't, yeah, they don't know what we're talking about right now. They have no idea. <laughs> don't look it up if you don't want to be spoiled. That's right. Um, but uh, just remember, Sniper King for Usopp, amazing. Yep. Oh yeah, I I can't wait to see some of the stuff because I am ahead, of course, in the subtitled version. But what I I'm watching it dubbed on Toonami, and just I can't wait for some of the stuff to see dubbed because the dub on that show is such, I think, such a great imp- uh, uh, component to it. It really elevates the show uh, for me. I like both versions. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's so funny, too, because we came up... You were talking about the differences between Funimation back then and today. Um, and that's one of the things, too. Like, when we started out, we got so much hate mail. We were considered, like, the evil that is taking down anime, you know, and, and we will destroy anime. And now, Funimation has sort of become the bastion of anime dub quality you know that's that's where you go to to find quality anime um so it for me it's it's cool to see that change and change in the perception too yep and uh now now we finally get to talk about tom good old tom uh you mentioned earlier that that you were uh called i guess by cartoon network how did that exactly come about did they they actually just called call you out of the blue and say hey do you want to be tom or do you want to audition for tom they called I believe they called several of the studios, the animation studios that they worked with at that time. And they liked, they, they handpicked certain actors from each studio and asked them to come into audition. And from Funimation, they contacted Funimation and said they wanted to hear Linda Chambers was the original Frieza, Chris Sabat and Sonny Strait. And so we could tell right away they had no idea what they wanted. You know, because that's, you can't get three more different sounding people. Um, and then they sent us a VHS tape, this is a long time ago, of uh, Toonami Tom just walking around and said, just, you know, gave it to us to look at the weekend before the audition to see if we could come up with some voices for this character. No instruction, no uh, attitudes or, or, or anything, personality traits or anything. So the three of us, we thought that they're looking for like a robot voice. So we were practicing robot voices, you know, because we thought that's what, this is a robot. That's what they want. Well, at the audition, it was a local studio in Dallas and this has never happened before or since, but while everyone else is auditioning on the overhead, we could, we could hear uh, on the intercom their audition. 
And so we're like listening to people audition. And Chris Sabat was first. And he goes in and he's ready to do some robot voices. And they went, oh, we, we don't want a robot voice. He goes, oh, I thought it was a robot voice. And he goes, no, 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 no. We just, we just want you to talk naturally, right? And, and a little snarky, you know? He goes, what? <laughs> he was really confused. I think it kind of blindsided him. And it really, I don't think it was fair the way it was set up, you know, because nobody had a chance to really prepare. But maybe that's what they wanted, you know? And so he started talking. And, and Chris has a real, his actual voice sounds like a DJ, you know? Because he's got that deep, resonant, uh, rich, like dark chocolate voice, you know. Um, and they were like, "Well, we don't want you to sound like a DJ." And he's like, "Well, okay." So he tried some other things, and then uh, Linda Chambers went in, and they told her basically the same thing. Well, Linda Chambers' voice is very scratchy, you know. I mean, she does Frieza, and it, it's very close to what her real voice is. And so by the time it was my turn, I kind of figured what they were looking for just by listening to the other people audition. And so when they came in there, I said, do you mean to tell me that I've been working all weekend on this awesome robot voice and you don't even want to hear it? And they went, uh, well, I guess we could hear it. And so I did something stupid like this. And he goes, that's terrible. And I went, I know, I know. But what is it that you're looking for? And he said, I think you know what we're looking for. We're looking for what you're doing right now. And I went, you, so you're basically just want a punk. He goes, yeah. And so that's how I got the part. So, and oh, it, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It was really cool. I mean, and, um, and it's also, like I said, it felt like I kind of stumbled onto a career at that point because they paid really well. And so it's the first time I'm seeing real dubbing money, you know? So it was, it was there. I was like, okay, I need to focus more on this acting stuff because I, I'm making more money at it. Now, how did the, uh, the VO sessions for Tom work back then? I mean, Skype, I don't, I don't think Skype was around. So just over the phone, I mean, they're Atlanta and Atlanta, you guys are in Dallas. Well, you know, the whole, the whole, the way it was set up is actually the reason I lost that gig. Um, the, Back then, this, the internet was not the powerful machine that it is now, right? It was much more limited. But what they could do, and they could do well, was what they called a digital patch system. And that meant that one studio in one city could do a digital patch to another city. So that while I was recording in my headphones, I could hear crisp and clear the director in Atlanta from Dallas, you know? And, um, but, but back then the process of setting that up would take an engineer about an hour to set it up. And at the time, I think, yeah, they paid me $400 an hour, which was a lot of money back then. Um, and it was going well for, for several months. It went really, really well. And then the engineer at that studio, and it wasn't Funimation, it was a local studio out there though. He started getting really lazy. And he stopped showing up. He'd send like his his uh, his assistant to come over and set up. And a lot of times, I would be already in the booth. We'd have the uh, the people in Atlanta waiting to talk to me, and we were waiting an hour for the setup. And I'm getting paid four hundred dollars an hour, you know. So they can't afford for them to set up after we've already started. And so eventually they said, we can't keep doing this. And they, they said that they had to go somewhere else. So this crappy engineer <laughs> from this unnamed studio 
cost me two Nami Tons. Now, did you, I guess back then, did you see any of the animation or have any input uh, on the Tom character? Uh, I, you know, like I said, the only thing I saw was the, uh, the tape that they had sent us. So I knew what he looked like and I knew, you know, how the, the voice that they were steering me to go into. And, and that was cool. And then, and then I started seeing it on TV, which was cool too. So I, I, I got an idea, but I never saw it as I was recording it. It was what you call prelay where I, I do the voice first and then they would animate on top of my voice. And since he doesn't have a mouth, that was pretty easy. All they had to do was gestures and stuff like that. Now, uh, I guess tying back into the other story, when the intruder came around, uh, how far yeah. in advance were you told about Tom's death? Were you shocked that they killed him off? Well, the director, no, because the director called me about it, and he was almost in tears about it. Um, and he said, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to go in a different direction. You know, we can't go this way. And also, he said that the idea of changing Tom into another, that wasn't his idea at all. I mean, Tom was his baby. And then the uh, producers at Cartoon uh, um, Network, they, they thought, well, especially back then, all the shows that we were doing at that time, most of them anyway, were, were action shows. So they figured Tom should be more action-oriented, you know, a tough guy looking, more, more like he could do battle. And so he told me all about that. He told me that they're going to have to go with a different person, you know, because they have to have the studio that's going to be a little bit more proficient. He said, but, Sonny, we're going to send your Tom out in style. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we're going to make a mini movie where Tom has to see and fight an alien and then eventually he dies from that. And then when he comes back, he'll be the other person. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So that's how Intruder came about. It's like he, it was just really the director wanting to send off this creation of his in style. And when I was recording, I was like, this is so cool. And it was such a cool thing. I mean, now you can see it on YouTube, the whole thing. Um, and I've, I've never seen any cartoon host of any block of cartoons ever do anything like that before or since. It was just, you know, a, a real cool moment in cartoon history. Now, uh, so how do you feel about the direction they've taken Tom now uh, with uh, Steve Bloom as now the, the new voice and uh, all the well, new, new character new models? Voice, he's been doing it for over a decade. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the old Tom. I went, honestly, um, and I thought it was really cool because if, when he first started out, they must have told him to sound like me because the first couple of times I heard him speak, I was looking at the new Tom and I went, I didn't record that. When did, what are they using my old recordings or something like that? And I, cause I thought it was my, my voice. And then I'm like, I don't remember recording that line. And then I realized, Holy shit, this guy is imitating me, you know? And I, he convinced me that that was me. And then as like, like the Dragon Ball Z cast did, he eventually made it more his own. You know, I, I think within the first year, by the end of that year, he had made, Tom, his own character. But it was cool, though. You know, you don't use... Because Tom was very close to my natural voice, especially in the morning, because uh, my voice is lower in the morning, and it was just like... Uh, it was just so un, un surreal to hear somebody imitate the way you speak and, like, certain uh, patterns that you have that you don't realize you have, uh, but he did. He, he heard it and 
Steve put it out. So kudos to him. And you know what's funny is that I have never met him. I've been to conventions like sometimes like twenty nine conventions a year, and I've yet to run into him. We have to make that happen at some point because Steve Steve's up on the show before too, and he has said the exact same thing. And I'm just like, we have to make this happen somehow. It would be I would really like cool. To, I would like to hear him do his imitation of me in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it blew my mind because honestly, I was like, I don't remember recording this. And I'm like, I didn't record that. That's a dude trying to sound like me. Um, but how do you feel about the direction that, that Tom has taken since then? Uh, you know, Steve making him his own and, and the character design as it's evolved. I think they've had some cool designs and I think they had some designs I didn't like as well, you know? Um, but, but honestly, I am just glad that Toonami is back, you know, it keeps, it keeps coming back because Toonami, uh, has done more for the anime industry, I think, than any, anyone else has done. You know, Toonami got people excited about it and still continues to get people excited about it and, uh, allows us to keep doing what we're doing, you know? And, um, for a while there, it looked like Cartoon Network was just going to pretty much get rid of anime altogether. And I guess somebody pointed out, you guys realize that that's what this company was, that made this company huge was all this anime. And now we've got it again on the air and it's, it, I couldn't be happier. All right. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, anything you want to plug before we uh, go ahead and let you go? Well, I have a book that I'm coloring now. It's the Elf Quest for Dark Horse and it should be out uh, the 22nd at all comic book stores. So be on the lookout for that. Elf Quest, the final quest, and uh, written and drawn by Wendy Peeney and colored by me. And I have some other stuff that I've done recording-wise, but I can't announce any of that yet. And you can check out the rest of his work online on iTunes and Hulu and all those places and watch <laughs> watch One Piece. Please watch One Piece. It's the best show going right now. All right, Sonny, thank you so much for joining me. Jose, thanks for having me, brother. Heads up! There's a new millennium on the way, and you've got a decision to make. Are you going to be like everyone else, or are you going to forge your own path? Be your own person, and individual. Webster's says individuality is a total character distinguishing an individual from others. You know, somebody who stands out from the crowd, who's a little different. Yes, I like being unique. Could be hair, clothes, just a different outlook. From this point on, there's no looking back. An individual takes responsibility for their actions and refuses to let anyone tell them what to do. I'm sorry, but uh, I've always been me. Being yourself isn't always easy. Sometimes you gotta take some licks. What a joke you are, Sailor Moon. You're a complete loser. This is jealous. But in the long run, it's the only thing that makes you who you are. Don't ever give it up. You can't just give up because things aren't the way we want them to be. I'm out of here. And we're back. Uh, so that'll pretty much wrap us up. Uh, I don't think we're missing anything, so let's just go ahead and get the, get all this stuff out of the way, and we'll sign off. Yay. Okay, so... If you guys are looking to help us out uh, and you guys want to support the podcast, uh, we have T-shirts that are available, medium, large, and extra large. Uh, you can go to tsunamifaithful.bandcamp.com, uh, purchase a shirt there. Um, they will be going back up to $12, so I would suggest that you get them before they do that because they're 10 right now. 
so again, that's tsunamifaithful.bandcamp.com, and then it's under the tab of merch. Uh, you can get that there. Uh, you also get Nerdcore Absolution Volume 1 uh, for free when you get that shirt too. So you get more than one thing for buying the shirt. Um, and then there's also uh, the donate link if you guys just want to donate to us directly. It's uh, tsunamifaithful.com slash donate. Um, you can click that button and donate whatever you want and just help us out whatever, whichever way you can. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and Stitcher. Please also subscribe uh, to us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Toonami Podcast, and follow our Tumblr account at ToonamiFaithfulOfficial.tumblr.com. Visit podcast.toonamifaithful.com for all the old episodes of the podcast. And without further ado, Jim, where can they find you? You can find me at ZeroAlucard27 on Twitter. And then if you want to find me on Tumblr, you can find me at UniCentury. That is U-N-I Century. And uh, you can find me at J-E-A-R-G-U-M-E-D-O. That's J-E-R-G-U-M-E-D-O on Twitter. And you can also follow me on Tumblr at J-E-A-R-G-U-M-E-D-O.tumblr.com and send anonymous questions because I get a lot of those. All right, and you can uh, follow me on Tumblr at paulpascrillo.tumblr.com. My last name is spelled P-E-S-C-R-I-L-O-O. And you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at paulpascrillo as well. Um, I try to put as much up there as I can and, uh, you know, other podcasts that I'm on will be posted there as well. So, uh, please take a listen, but, uh, that's it for the Tsunami Faithful podcast this week. Peace. We're out. Deuces.